Amen. Praise God. If you have your Bibles, I want you to find two places for me tonight, if you will. I want you to find Luke 24 and Acts chapter 1. And uh, Mark chapter uh, 1 of Acts, and then hang out with me for a little bit over in Luke 24. It has been my pleasure to be here. I have felt at home. Got a lot of kin folks in here, and didn't none of them have a clue who I was on Sunday morning, but now they're running around telling everybody related to me. <laughs> Known that boy my whole life. My wife even claimed me since I started coming to this church. But they all just really do appreciate your family. What a beautiful testimony y'all leave for the Lord everywhere you go. It's really. Uh, we we have a, had a lot of dealings from over in his neighborhood. And he's in Tween, North Carolina. He's Tween, Hurdle Mills, and Caldwell. <laughs> Amen? Tween. And I'm over in Bushy Fork, which is uh, the capital of North Carolina as far as I'm concerned. And But uh, used to be neighbors with his brother. This fine family every which way you turn. And. It's a blessing to even be able to call you my brother. Amen. Uh, I have to tell y'all a story tonight. And I told y'all the other night, I was, uh, gave you a little hint on this story. A lot of people don't know this, but although I was only born in 1971, I invented disco music. <laughs> well, excuse me, not the music. I invented the dancing style. And I don't really want to take credit for this, but it happened. So I think it's important I tell you how it happened. Now, what, who said, oh, Lord? <laughs> okay, okay, let me get into my story. <laughs> I taught a class today on how to write short stories, and I used this story to show them how to write a short, short story. Anyway, uh, so, you, you know, uh, I was one of the, the great white hunters. You know, every young man that lives out in the country wants to be one, you know, and you, you, you get these awards, like if you miss a deal or something, they'll give you a slingshot for an award. Or, well, anyway, I had these great aspirations. Um, but really, honestly, uh, I didn't love uh, deal hunting. I loved quail hunting. I figure anybody can hit something big as a cow. I mean, you know, <laughs> standing still in a field, that don't take no kind I wanted stuff I could sneak up on like turkeys. They're hard to get, ain't they? Yeah, you got to act about half like a turkey to kill one. <laughs> I like, I used to like coon hunting. I didn't even want to kill them. I just, I done heard Jerry Clower tell so many stories. I just wanted to knock them out of the tree and give them a fast shot with the dogs, you know. I liked quail hunting better than I did anything, but by the late 70s, you couldn't hardly find a quail, could you? Uh, but, uh, I also love squirrel hunting. You know, you could go somewhere and sit down in a, in a grove of trees where there's a lot of nuts, acorns or, or whatever kind, pecans or whatever, and you could just pop squirrels until your heart's delight. Well, one time I went to a yard sale. Now, I'm not a big yard seller. I mean, you go to the things and it, and it don't even feel like you're floating. It's just no fun. But I, I, I've been to a few yard sales. And I went to one, and they had one of them vestuses. Y'all ever have one of them hunting vestuses? <laughs> and I felt like I could be like a World War II soldier or something if I wore one of these vestuses. And you could just put all kinds of bullets in that thing. It had all these little things. Matter of fact, all I had at this point was a 12-gauge, but I stuck every kind of bullet I could fit in it. <laughs> 
and it had these big pockets on it. Who owned one of these Vestuses? Yeah. Y'all to wear it to church. It's really something. If you go to a deacon's meeting, load it up. I mean, it sends a message. So anyway, you know, you, you, you don't need but so many bullets. And matter of fact, on this day, I was hunting with a 22. But I had loaded that thing up with 12-gauge shells. Had my brother's single-shot 22 breech load. Probably come out to Seals and Roebuck catalog, 1922. And I went and sat down in a grove of trees with my vestuses on. Now, this was a special vest. It was made for left-handed people. I reckon that's why they sold it at a yard sale. And I was right-handed, but it had the padding on this side. And I didn't know what it was for. I thought it was where you wiped your hand. <laughs> it's so convenient. You know, you skinning a squirrel. It's, it was all, it was corduroy too. You know, and you could wipe stuff in them grooves in that corduroy. I, I was proud of this vest. Y- y'all know what I'm talking about, don't you? <laughs> Anyhow, I didn't sit over there and kill four or five squirrels and I got up, and I was going to walk around and gather up each squirrel because I hadn't moved. Well, I put the squirrel, had the pouch. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Who knows what I'm talking about? Sometimes I'd walk around the yard and just put stuff in it. <laughs> I'm not joking. Go to the bus stop with my books in it. I wanted the girls to see that vestasis. <laughs> Bullets for you. You do that now, you're going to jail. I'm, I'm going to tell you that. Y'all know I'm right. Yeah, I was a public school kid. You, we used to go to person high school, have your shotgun hanging in the back window of your truck. No joke. Yeah, man, you even spell shotgun in school now, you're going home. <laughs> Anyhow, I done killed these squirrels, and we was living over, I think you called it the Reeves Place, didn't you, Mom? Over on the uh, uh, New Ephesus Church Road, I mean, Ephesus Church Road, Reeves Place. Remember how you'd walk down by that pack house in the woods that I've been hunting? I had me a bunch of squirrels, four or five in there. And I was going back to the house, you know, and I was walking along feeling good about my vestices and my squirrels and my shells and got the 22 bar up. You know, I had to also carry a fake pistol with me. It just felt like you ought to. <laughs> I mean, you're wearing a vest like that. You want to feel like you're up to something. So I'm walking along. And all of a sudden, something in the back of that vest. <laughs> that dude won't dead. He had been knocked out. <laughs> and that dude got the Holy Spirit in there. <laughs> and he couldn't get out and I couldn't get it off. <laughs> that happened to you, didn't it? Now, I know, I know y'all, most of y'all has died in the wool Baptist and you just saw me dance. Listen, I had to tell this story. <laughs> sure enough, that's how disco was born. Looked on TV the very next week. Everybody was doing it. <laughs> they weren't wearing investices, though. They was wearing jumpsuits and what all. I, they didn't learn in hunting like I did. They learned in some other kind of place. Yeah, you can't make your stuff up. <laughs> Have any of y'all ever had the Lord do something in your life that you couldn't really find the words to describe even what he was doing? Maybe. Yeah. I always call that a spurrence. 
Yeah, some people have an experience. <laughs> oh, where I'm from, we, you know, we're kind of economic with the words, you know. We just have spurances. That's what happened to me that day with that hunting vest. I had a spurance. <laughs> yeah. Yes, sir. I'll tell you by the time the yellow jackets got up my britches, but I don't believe we got that much time. <laughs> come out to come out to cornfield wearing nothing but a pair of boots and my underwear. <laughs> running jack. I still had my hat on too. I did have my my running like this grease lightning. Sure, that's a true story. Anyway, I think something needs to happen to us these days. Something needs to break loose that we didn't even know was alive. And I ain't going to beat around the bush. I'm talking about we need an experience with the Holy Spirit. We need something to happen to us that other folks can't explain and we'll struggle to ourselves. All we'll be able to do is just give God the credit. I mean, God done this. God done this. We didn't go and... As much as I love to study, and right now I'm going through a couple different studies with some young men, much as I love to study, don't think I'm putting this down, but I want something to happen in Person County that we can't say we ordered from Lifeway. You know, our church ordered some stuff from Lifeway. I want something to happen. Now, God may use that to trigger it, but we won't give it to credit. We'll say, I can, all I can tell you is God did it, you know? I told y'all earlier this week, I really like that song by Bill and Gloria Gaither. He touched me. I love it, man. Love it. Love it. I love the sentiment. He touched me. And oh, the joy that floods my soul. And who, who knows the next words? Something happened. And now I know. They know something happened and they know what they know because of it. But the best thing Bill and Gloria could say is something happened. That's called a experience. You have your Bibles tonight. I want to pick up in a strange place, just so I don't have to read a, a hundred verses. You'll trust me to give you the backdrop. But I want to read a few verses from Luke 24 and a few verses from Acts chapter number 1. So if we could start first in Luke chapter 1, I mean, excuse me, Luke 24, pardon me. Right there in verse 46. Oh, we'll include 45. Man, I just want to read Luke 1 through Acts 26. That's just what I feel like reading. Verse 45. Then he opened their minds to understand Scripture. Did y'all catch who it takes to get you to understand this word? It don't take the Bible translators. It don't take you having a pile of education on your shoulders. You get in that word and that, and that good God of ours will open it up to you. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you clothed with power from on high. In verse 50, then he led them out as far as Bethany, 
And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Now over to Acts chapter 1. Pick up the account in verse number 6 if you don't mind. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem in the, uh, excuse me, a Sabbath day's journey away. Now listen to this, church. And when they entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. They name all these folks. Look at verse 14. And these with one accord were doing what, church? Devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Father, I, I beg you, Lord, feed us from the bread of life tonight with your very own hand. Give us that water that will leave men and women and boys and girls never thirsting again. Father, give us that manna from heaven, the Lord Jesus, and let us taste and see that he is indeed good. In Jesus I pray, amen. You know, if you could imagine for just one moment what it must have looked like you got to remember, most of these diehard 12, or at this point, 11 apostles and a few diehard followers, out of the multitudes that had followed Jesus, they were down to now about 120. Multitudes had followed him, and if you want to see where they started to depart from him, they, every time he said something they didn't like, you'll notice in the, in the Gospels that a few of the crowd run off. Proves everybody in the New Testament was Baptist. The three Methodists thought that was funny. <laughs> but where they really started to run off in droves is over in what we call John chapter 6. When he told him he was the bread of heaven and they must eat of him, folks left him like crazy. He was saying, literally, I am God's sustenance. And if you don't have me, you're going to die. But people didn't like that he was saying that because they had a heritage. They were Jewish. They were children of Abraham. They had a nationality. They were Israelites, and God had blessed Israel. They were people of the law. They had a standard. How dare you say that you what we need to live? The nerve. What a rascal you are. And if you go over there in John's account in chapter number 6, I won't go there because I'll just start reading 50 verses from John then. But if you go over there and read it, you'll find they, they took off in droves. Because he says, I'm it. And when he comes down to the crucifixion, you know the story, don't you? Amen. Amen. The only person that stayed near the cross out in the wide open was Brother John. 
And you know what? He is our brother. You ever think about that? The exact same faith that Jesus granted to Peter, James, and John is the same faith he grants us. But old John stood there. Could you imagine seeing Jesus on the cross? Think about it every once in a while. You ought to. Uh, Sunday, you're going to observe the Lord's table. Amen. Whenever you do this, what did he say? Amen. Remember these things. Can you imagine Jesus hanging on the cross? And if nobody else understood it, he understood that he could command legions of angels, not just to release him, but to destroy the earth. What happened to Sodom and Gomorrah, he could have done to every bit of the face of the earth with just the word of his power. The Bible says he upholds everything by the word of his power. If he just decides to stop doing it, poof. But there he is on the cross and he looks down at John and he says, take care of my mama. Isn't that precious? Even as them old boys is nailing him to that cross. And, you know, we'll see these little tame images of the cross and people will put a little red dot here and a little red dot there. And no, it was a mess. It wasn't 20 penny nails. I shot a 20... A 20 or 22 penny nail in my leg when I was a teenager working out at Fleetwood. Any of y'all ever work at Fleetwood? Yeah, man, I was building stuff. And I done taped that guard back on that nail gun so I could just waka, waka, waka. I pulled my leg up and wakaed it. I knew I didn't want to go to the doctor for reasons that were not good. So I said, dig it out, y'all, dig it out. They sent me to the doctor. Hmm, bad day. Yeah. These weren't no little nails. These were more like something akin to railroad spikes. And they drove them into Jesus. And does anybody know what he's saying? Forgive them. They don't get it. They don't know what they're doing. We need to remember sometimes who this Jesus was. And they buried him. Oh, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus stepped up and said, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, we'd like to do this honor. I'd like to think that would have been my response. I'd like to think on my best day, I would have said, let me bury Jesus. If nothing else, he's been a good man. He took a little boy's lunch and fed thousands twice. He walked on the water. He told a little dead girl to wake up. He touched lepers when other folks wouldn't even talk to him. He healed a woman with an issue of blood who doctors couldn't touch for 12 years. He made the blind see, the dumb talk. He made the deaf hear, made the lame walk. He even told a storm to sit down and be quiet. You remember that next time your three-year-old is rowdy and won't listen to you. That's your Jesus. And they put him in the tomb and they wanted to go back and honor him. But guess what? He was gone. Praise God. And so now we find Jesus in the accounts we were reading today. He is risen. You know, if you ever want a summation of the gospel, I told you, Brother Herbert, I wrote a bunch of sermons. I'm just going to preach them all. Amen. If you ever want a summation of the gospel, you find your way right over to 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says, this is the gospel. He died for our sins according to the scriptures. That's the fact. The evidence was, and they buried him. Then it says, he rose from the dead, as according to the scriptures. That's the fact. And the evidence was, many people saw him. He was seen of many witnesses. Hey, that's the gospel. 
That's the gospel. When Paul gets to preaching to us over in Romans 10, and he says, if you'll believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus was raised from the dead, you will be saved, and God won't turn you away. That's that Jesus. But what they're seeing right now is they're seeing the culmination of the gospel message. They see Jesus risen from the grave. I heard some slick-talking preacher say one time, and I always clung to this. It was just good. He said, the only man-made thing in heaven is the spear, scars, the spear wound and the nail scars on Jesus. Only man-made thing in heaven. Wow. I always thought that was a powerful image. But they're talking to this risen Jesus. And you got to appreciate in Luke 24, those boys who were walking with Jesus on the road to Emmaus. You got to appreciate them. They were down in the dumps. A lot of people run those boys over the cold, but I like them. They had loved Jesus, and now they were sad. Things didn't go like they thought they were supposed to go, and they, they were down in the dumps. What's going on? And here comes Jesus walking up beside them, but he doesn't give them a break. He rebukes them. If you'll let me kind of give it to you in the vernacular, he says, hey, knuckleheads, I told you all about this. Then he, oh boy, wouldn't you have liked to heard Jesus teaching on himself? Says he expounded on everything in the law and the prophets. He told how everything in the scriptures related to himself. Wouldn't you like to have been in that class? He went out there and cooked breakfast for the old boys after they done went back to fishing. They done run so far from Jesus that they weren't even hanging around. They done pulled out the Zebco 33s and was laid back in the boat. Wasn't quite like that. But he brought them back together. All you got to do to bring your friends back together is just raise from the dead. I really don't care what you do for my funeral. Amen. I told my wife, have a pig picking. Woo. Not me. I mean, get a real pig. <laughs> Be a little weird for people. My butt didn't come from Boston. Don't try to cook it. <laughs> but could you imagine if somebody you loved, you had come over to the church to celebrate their life and console their family, and all of a sudden the, the casket kicks over. Hey! <laughs> That's why I appreciate old Thomas. He said, time out. <laughs> Hold on, bro. <laughs> let, me, let me handle you a minute. I appreciate Thomas because he done the very thing my faithless heart would do. I say, is this real? Is this deal with you really real? Did you, is this some kind of theatrical act? But it wasn't. They'd seen him die. And now they're talking to him. Somebody told me when I was young, that you could always tell how far a storm was away from you by counting the time between the lightning and the thunder. Who ever heard that? Now, don't straighten me out after church because I'm not a scientist and I don't really care. But I've heard many conflicting things, you know, about how many seconds represented how many miles. I, I got WRALL. I don't need you to tell me how to figure it out. I don't got bare fat. I touch mine. If it's hot, it's hot outside. If it's cold, it's cold outside. 
But let's just say, for example, you see the lightning and you say, one, two, three, and you hear the thunder. And you say, oh, man, it's three miles away. I don't really know the formula, but I've always liked that analogy because that's what we see in the scripture we read. What you see happening here is the pause between the lightning and the thunder. Lightning struck when Jesus come from that tomb. He had angels attending his way. Imagine how they must have felt when so many felt defeated. So many felt like it was over. Our dream is over. We thought he was the one. He must not be the one. But then he's alive again. But here he is saying, I got to go. I'm leaving. But boy, if they would have knew how the thunder was going to come. I think that many of us fail to appreciate the moments between the lightning and the thunder. Between God revealing something to us as only he can, showing us something in Scripture, letting us hear it in a testimony, revealing something to us quietly in our spirit, that thing we call an epiphany, that revelation, some truth unfolded to us. Sometime he has touched us, but then just as soon as it happens, it feels like everything calms down. But you know what we need to learn to do? Wait on the thunder. And tonight, I want to tell you how to get yourself and this church ready for revival by waiting on the thunder. If you think God's spoken to you, you ain't seen nothing yet. Now, the question ain't, can I make the case plain? The question is, will you plainly live the case? Right here in the Bible, beginning at verse 45, we see something really important. When you as a believer begin to deal with scriptures, why don't you just be faithful? Let that be the first hand clap that you count after the lightning. Get in the word for yourself. I don't care what you're reading level. I don't even care if you can't read. Technology is too big. You can go on the internet. You can go on www.somethingother.something else. And go on the computer and it'll read the Bible to you. Right there on the internet. I go on esvstudybible.org, click play, and it'll play until I stop. You can get it on cassette. You can get it on CD. You can get it on DVD. You can get it on VIP and ABC, as far as I know. It's out there. There's no excuse for a believer not to be in the Word. No excuse. But do you know most of our Bibles off a show, not for go? One of my brothers is kind of wild. It's your son, Mama. Don't duck your head. (laughs) She went. You know what's awesome, though? She didn't go, yeah, you are. (laughs) I was coming up. I told you I always, I like guns, man. Well, I want to tell you something. This is bad math. You're always going to get a bad answer. But idiot plus gun equals bad. And so he, my brother got a 22 pistol. I think it was a Christmas of 1980. I had also that same Christmas got a bunch of Tonka toys. And it was a, a revolver. It looked like it was that long. Of course, I was only nine, you know, but it looked like it was that long. And, and I came outside, and them yellow Tonka toys looked perfect for target practice. That man had shot up all my Tonka toys. You don't got to make your stuff up. I was mad. 
I went and appealed to my dad, and he didn't say much, and that made me mad. So I went and holed up in my room, and I ain't making this up. We live right over there in Alton behind Big Oak Service Center. Any of y'all ever go to that store? That's before you had the lottery. None of y'all crossed the line. Amen, I know. <laughs> Heathens. Um, I was so mad, I told, and, and my other brother had been really picking on me about it because he said, you ought to grow up playing with dump trucks and stuff. So I told him, I said, I'm going in the room, and we all had one room, and I said, first person to set foot in, I'm going to kill him. And I went up on top of the bunk bed, and I got out the single shot 22, and I was playing Daniel Boone. I was rowing with the stock of the gun, and, and they coming in and touched the doorknob, and I said, don't you come in here. They come back again, touched that doorknob, I shot through the wall. Went through that wall, through the exterior wall, and it hit my brother's pickup truck and knocked a mirror, busted the mirror. <laughs> it's true, mama. <laughs> we had a metal exterior on the house, and you know how a bullet makes the metal push out. My brother went down and was squishing it back in. <laughs> Trying to make it look the same. It's changing pictures on the wall, you know. Let's hang this over here. See, some folks just don't believe you. They knew it was a single shot. They bum-rushed me and beat the tar out of me. My brother said for years, he, he held it over my head, anything he didn't want, you know, wanted me to do or didn't want me to do. He said, I'm going to tell mom and dad you shot through the house. I'm like, man, we done lived in three houses. Quit talking about it. <laughs> Get me to do his chores and stuff. I'll be like, you such a nice boy helping your brother. I'm going to kill him for real one day. <laughs> See, some folks just don't believe you when you tell them what's coming. And I really believe that's the situation of the church. Because if they had believed me, they would have had a whole different behavior. They wouldn't have been messing around that doorknob. <laughs> Better be glad I couldn't load no faster. <laughs> if I'd have had that vestuses on. <laughs> I want to ask you something, believer. Do you have any expectation for God to do the things he said he's going to do? I mean, I wonder, what do you spend more time building, your resume or the kingdom? That tells a lot about your expectation. What do you spend more time talking about, your favorite sports team or what you reckon God might do next? See, when Jesus told them all this stuff, their immediate response was, he says, now you've seen it. You've seen it. You've experienced it. You've had the lightning. And he opened the word to them. You've had the lightness. You've been my witnesses. And what I want you to do is to proclaim it. I want you to let the world know. Verse 48, you are, my, you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise. 
They don't even know what he's talking about yet. They don't even get how deep it's going to be. He had told them about the Holy Spirit. And you say, sure, they knew what the promise was. They knew it was the Holy Spirit. They didn't know it was the Holy Spirit no more than they believed him when he said he had to die. See, some things you have to experience. So look at their response. It tells you a lot. This is a New Testament church responding to the risen Savior. Has anything changed since then? Shouldn't we be responding to the risen Savior? Who's with me? Is he still risen? Has he died again? Has someone toppled him over like some simple idol? And we still should be responding to the risen Savior. And I love their response in Luke 24, uh, 50 and 51. He said, it says in 50 that he blessed them. Ain't that a precious thing? 51, it says he blessed them. He parted from them, was carried up into the heavens. Can't you imagine? Don't you remember these old boys as a bunch of rednecks? Can you imagine what they look like? I told you all the other night about that, that tornado blowing through that trailer park. That's exactly what they look like. See, what had happened was, took two angels to get their attention. Hey, man, wake up. But look at their response. Not just that they gazed in the sky. It says they, were, they, they, they worshiped him. Huh? What? What in the world? They worshiped him. Their response to what Jesus was doing. Their response to who he was, was to worship. Now somebody says, let's pull out the hymnal. We done covered that. Worship is more than singing, amen? amen. Says they worshiped him, and they returned to Jerusalem with what, church? How many of y'all have ever actually noticed that the song Amazing Grace has an exclamation point in it? It's the way most of us sing it. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. I got to go home and see the race. No, it's amazing grace, and it'll never stop being amazing. The same grace that took old John Newton off that slave ship and gave him a conscience and called him to be a pastor is the grace that called me out of drunkenness and called me out of drug addiction. It's the grace that called people out of religiosity. It's the grace that calls broken women into wholeness. It's the grace that makes witnesses out of gossipers. That grace is still amazing. And these believers had joy because they experienced Jesus. They'd been struck by lightning. Something had come alive in them. And look at the other response. And, and they were continually in the temple. I can't stand them lone range of Christians, so-called lone range of Christians. Folks tell me, I, I don't need to go to church. Well, well, how arrogant of you. Maybe we need you. If you know so much, come over here and pour it on me. I've already told you I'm pretty dumb. Well, you know what? There's no such thing as a believer who doesn't have a discipline of gathering with other believers. What you have is an imposter. And you go home and tell every kinfolk around to tell you they don't need Jesus. Excuse me. They don't need the church. You tell them they're wrong. Jesus had a habit of going to church. You don't believe me? Turn to Luke chapter 4. 
Now, your church may not be brick. It may be a little white church. It may even be a living room filled with a bunch of really sweet people who gather together very regularly. That's church, man, where two or three are gathered. But it's the discipline of being together. It's the discipline of, of, of receiving from each other and giving to one another. It's that shared life. It's fellowship that nobody has the form of committed to direct. And you know what else it is? It's accountability. And if you don't have it in your local church, you are an imposter. You know what else it is? It's folks gathering because they really do believe something's coming. Any of you folks ever have the privilege to know Brother Jason Webster? He came here while he was in seminary and served for several years at North Roxborough Associate Pastor. Jason married a local girl, married Nancy, Ma Nancy and Reed Marston's younger daughter, Cindy. Some of y'all might have known her. Jason told me one of the most blessed stories I ever heard in my life. said his dad didn't grow up in church. As a grown man, he went to church. And the first time he had went to church and the first time he was ever under the preaching of God's word, he gave his life to Jesus. The pastor was preaching on the second coming of Jesus. said he went home and sat down on the, by a window on the side of the house that faced east. Because he honestly believed at any moment Jesus might come, he wanted to be watching and waiting. And every day for several days, that entire week, he came home from work and he'd take care of his affairs and sit down at that window. Because he honestly believed that word. He went back to church the next week and talked to the pastor. The pastor says, Yeah, it's true, he is coming. He is coming. We don't know when, but he is coming. But he didn't tell you to sit and watch. He told you to worship and work. So you know what that man did? He started worshiping and working, and he's still a pastor to this day in Bassett, Virginia. Does everybody wind up being a pastor? No. No. Best ministry I'll ever Per capita, most powerful ministry I ever had was Ico Power Plant. Yes, sir. I like him old construction workers. They are... They're a rough bunch, and I love them. Best ministry I ever had. What's my point here? My point is Jesus is still alive, and we're still under that same command, but the story gets better. You get over there in Acts chapter 1, and he reaffirms some things that he said in Luke 24. It's really the same account. It keeps going. The same uh, author was used of the Holy Spirit to continue telling the story. What you have in Luke is everything Jesus did for believers. And then what you have in Acts is everything Jesus did in believers and through believers. And over in Acts, he, he tells them, you're going to be my witnesses. This, this wasn't something he says, well, some of y'all will get called to testify. And some of y'all will get called to pastor. And some of y'all will get called to teach. He says, no, all of you will be my witnesses. We're not talking about gifts of the Spirit. We're talking about tellers of an experience. And I contend that it's one of three things why the church don't have a testimony today. Either A, we don't have a testimony. In other words, we ain't had no spurts. You know why you ain't telling no stories about squirrels coming alive in your vestices? Because it ain't happened to you. You know why some of y'all ain't got no testimony of Jesus coming alive in your life? It ain't happened to you. Some of us are oppressed, just like Job. Remember Genesis 19? Not Job, excuse me lot some of us are oppressed by our culture and until we shirk it off and live for jesus 
We're going to, that testimony is going to be suppressed, depressed, oppressed. It might just be pressed, made flat. And some of us, the cares of the world are weighing us down. And we need to bring it over to Jesus. I'm honestly not worried about number two and number three because God's going to work in those things. What I'm worried is, will you meet him in number one? So he tells them, you'll be my witnesses. What is going to make them get up? Because they heard a good sermon. No. When the Holy Spirit comes on, you know, this gets me excited. When the Holy Spirit come on them, something's going to happen. Amen? Amen? Now, some of y'all know what I'm talking about. You'll be down at the store or out somewhere, and you'll see a sale. And everybody and their mama who you think would want to hear about that, you'll be on the phone. You need to go down to Walmart. They're selling such and such and such and such. You'll be on Facebook posting Internet coupons. You'll be calling your, your daughter and your granddaughter. You'll send everybody, go over and get you some. Remember, somebody told me one day to come by the warehouse and said, it's a guy down the road selling boiled peanuts. I said, whoopee. They said, you got to get you some. I said, I'll tell you what, you go back and get my shell. That man was excited. You can get excited about boiled pecans and double coupon sales at Harris Teeter. You ought to be excited about Jesus. Maybe you ain't experienced him. This hurts, don't it? Hurts me to tell it. And so he was risen here, and, and look what the church does in Acts chapter 1, verse 12. It says, then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which was near Jerusalem, Sabbath day's journey away, which wasn't very far. That's a fancy way of saying it. They went right down the road. And what did they do together? With one accord. What, what, what does that mean? It doesn't mean they all got in a Honda. It means they all agreed together. What did they agree on? They agreed to obey what Jesus had said. Here's the challenge of the church today. Agree what Jesus said. What did he tell them? They had one command. It's like a return to the garden again. Wait in Jerusalem for the promise. He didn't tell them they couldn't go fishing. He didn't say, you can't go to the temple. He didn't say, y'all can't go shopping. Didn't say, you can't eat. Didn't say, you can't have fun with your family. Notice what he told him. He says, wait in Jerusalem for the promise. Wait in Jerusalem for the promise. So that one accord was, they had come together and decided to obey Jesus together. Do you think there was some debate about what that meant? Absolutely, they're human. One of the most blessed things in my life is having conversations with believers and working out my own salvation with fear and trembling. And what did this life give them, joy? What did this life give them, community? What did this life give them? Expectation. Old Vance Havner said most churches start at 11 o'clock sharp, the end at 12 o'clock dull. Advance having, amen. 
And you know, most of us come in and go out and we don't think God's going to say nothing to me. We think he needs to say something to her. He needs to say something to him. So-and-so should have been over here and heard this. I expect God to say something to me. I expect God to do something in me. I expect God to do something to me. I expect God to do something through me. And I don't mean just on Sunday morning, 24-7-365. Uh. What was this one accord all about? They decided to get together and do what Jesus said. What did Jesus say? Wait. Wait for the promise. He says, you will be my witnesses when? When the Holy Spirit comes on you. They didn't go out and try to develop an evangelism strategy. There they go trying to do in the flesh what they couldn't help but do if they were in the what, church? In the Spirit. They had one command. Wait. Wait. So they did it. And what did they do while they waited? Here's a big hint. They prayed. They had a habit of being together. That's what that being in the temple was all about. There wasn't no Baptist churches or Methodist churches. That was not a single Christian church. They had one place where it had a sense of community. That was the temple. That's the only place they had to go. You know, much of the early church in the next couple of hundred years after this had to worship in catacombs in different cities. Y'all know that's the underground graveyard, right? Imagine what it was like to be in the nursery. Baby get to cry and they just get a bone, a finger bone and say, chew on it. I'm just kidding, but y'all look dead. There wasn't no nice place where you could sit down and not worry about a soul coming to bother you. Are y'all with me? But what do we do, dude? You know, and, and nobody's told me, and I haven't asked. But is that kind of response to God normal here? What do you do between the lightning and the thunder? I, I'll tell you what, and, and 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 you know, I'm just getting to know Brother Tim Wade this week. This ain't no favor to him, but I'm impressed that y'all gonna have at me and study. I, I, unless I, somebody would have told me, I'd have never known that it wasn't a regular thing. But Herbert said, it's kind of a first of a kind. You men are remiss if you don't go. You're remiss. Okay? You just saw. I don't, you say, why? Well, my children's all, gro-. well, be somebody's surrogate grandfather. Go, go bless a family. Disciple your grown children. Disciple your grandchildren. Do it, man. Men, I'm talking to you. Don't be that man like Lot where they laugh at you when you tell them something serious. All the men in this building ought to be in that study. How many weeks is it? My goodness. We've played softball more weeks than that and not missed a game. That's a sad sermon. Tim, I'll take your money afterwards. Let me close this thing down. You guys know what happens next, don't you? The Holy Spirit falls. The Holy Spirit comes. You know, they did some stuff in between this. They didn't know what to do with themselves besides wait and pray, and that's what they were doing. And they tried to organize and wait. 1 Corinthians 14, 40 says, all things should be done in decent and good order. What did they do? They had, they had a missing chief apostle. So they, they, they didn't even have a vote. They cast a lot and replaced him. Did Jesus tell them to do that? No. Did he tell them they couldn't? No. 
What did he tell them? Go to Jerusalem and wait. They went to Jerusalem and waited. What did they do while they waited? They worshiped. They had community, and they tried to set the sails for something that was coming. And they prayed. Most of us treat prayer like it's just something where we got to go and tell God some stuff. I think prayer more to be more ought to be more like us sitting down and waiting for God to tell us something. I had a friend says, Tim, I tried to do that. I kept falling asleep. Praise God. At least you fell asleep doing something worthwhile. And you fall asleep watching no dumb sports center like I do most every night. Right? Holy Spirit comes. The Holy Spirit overwhelms them. The Holy Spirit blows their mind. There were Jews there because it was the Pentecost. It was 50 days after Passover. Jews were still there celebrating from all over the known world. And they were there and they spoke all kinds of languages. And the Holy Spirit come and the Holy Spirit was so powerful that people thought the believers was drunk. The Holy Spirit was so powerful that people opened their mouth to speak in one language. And people who spoke a whole other language heard the gospel and got saved. The Holy Spirit was so wonderful that they couldn't contain him. Boy, they thought the lightning was something. What did they got to thunder? You know what the lightning was, don't you? The lightning was Jesus getting his own life back. The thunder was him passing it into believers. And on our best days, we could just be sitting around. Counting the claps between the lightning and the thunder. I'm so thankful I ain't in charge of revival because I'd hold it back from some folks. I'd be like, them people aggravated me. I ain't giving them no revival. But God is full of mercy and grace and he's good. And I don't know where revival is going to come again, but I believe it's coming again. And a constant prayer of mine is, Lord, let it begin in me. Really? Really? We have the Holy Spirit. We stand on the other side of this story. We ought to know to wait more than anyone. We ought to know that we can't do anything without God's power. We ought to know we cannot manifest anything that will please Him because we've gotten smart, because we've gotten technology, because we've organized everything to the nth degree. The main role of the church ought to be waiting for God to do something because when He does it, you ain't going to be able to hold Him back. Amen. You know why I love to talk about Jesus? He touched me, oh, he touched me, and oh, the joy that floods my soul. What is it, church? Something happened, and now I know he touched me. And what happens? Amen. Amen. That's where it starts. That's where it starts, friends of God. That's where it starts. And you're not going to get revival because I've been here every night. And you're not going to get revival because you memorized a verse or two. You're not going to get revival because you went out and repeated one of my crazy stories. You're going to get revival because you're going to listen to the still, small voice of that Holy Spirit. And you're going to get out on your face and say, God, here I am. I'm waiting. Do something in me. Do something to me. Do something through me. 
You ain't going to get it no other way than to get it from him. And you might have to wait four or five days, eight or ten years. I don't know. I asked my wife to marry me three times before she said yes. No joke. One time I was joking. <laughs> she don't know which one. <laughs> no, she knew that time, and she laughed at me and said no. Twice I was dead serious. One of those times she thought I was joking. That was the first time. One of those times she knew I wasn't joking, and she told me she couldn't marry an unbeliever. I don't know. I th I'd like to think she was praying God do something and she was waiting for him. I know I was praying God do something because I sure was waiting on her. I only had to wait five years. Think about old Jacob. I mean, excuse me. Think about Caleb and Joshua. God told him, ain't nothing going to happen for 40 years, boys. If that was today, they'd go off and start another church. But they hung in there with four million idiots. Every meeting, if they didn't vote. You won't find voting in the Bible, in Jesus' name, amen. But they didn't vote. But if they had, every vote for at least 20 years would have been 4 million to 2. <laughs> Why did they wait? Because they believed God. Why did Abraham go out to a land somewhere else? Why did he believe God was going to give him a kid? He did because he believed God was telling him the truth. And, and, and the Bible says he believed God and he counted it for righteousness. Why does anybody believe that Jesus will and can and is able to take the burden of our sins? Because he will. And every time you say, I place my faith on Jesus, God counts it to you as righteousness. Why would this church do anything so spiritual as to begin holding fasting services and, and prayer services? What if we cut the music off and crank the prayers up every once in a while? It would prove we had expectation. It would prove we've been struck by lightning. And it would prove we were ready for thunder. Old John the Revelator got it. That's why he could say, even so, come Lord Jesus. Come Lord Jesus. Is that your prayer tonight? In my heart, come Lord Jesus. If you turn me upside down and inside out and change every hour of my life, come Lord Jesus. Mamas and daddies, heads of households, is that the prayer for your house? Come Lord Jesus, even so come. Even if you flip the script on everything we do as a family, come Lord Jesus. Sunday school teachers, is that your prayer for your class? Come, Lord Jesus, even if every relationship in here is radically changed. Is that the prayer of this church? Even if him coming means you might lose members because he sends them away to do his work? I'm talking about some bold stuff. But I done seen some storms, and I like lightning and thunder. And my prayer is even so. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. God, I pray one simple prayer. Teach the church to live with anticipation. In Jesus' name, amen. Brother Herbert.